pursue your purpose, speak your truth, deal with adult bullies, cope with failure, live beyond fear, establish values, set boundaries, move past trauma. These are all the themes in my Amazon bestseller, The Smart Girls Handbook. Tribers get in close. For 15 years, I have been searching for a book that didn't exist. So I am thrilled to share that I decided to write it. The Smart Girls Handbook is available to buy now from wherever you get your books and also in Canada, the United States of America, New Zealand and Australia. Everything we do is a response to something you have asked for and girl, have you been begging me for a book for years? Who is it for you? The reviews are outstanding. The press has been phenomenal and I am overwhelmed by the amazing support it has had already. This isn't my book, but our book. I realised after my talks around the world, women would be queuing for hours just to ask me one question. I didn't want them to just walk away, but to have a tangible source to have forever. And this is it. This is refreshing, never before read content that will inspire, motivate, empower, inform and entertain you. It's full of my personal development tips that have got me living as my most authentic and highest self, literally glowing from within. My most vulnerable moments and hilarious stories that will resonate with you. The Smart Girls Handbook is a celebration of womanhood and the book missing from your library. So grab your copy today, tag me on Instagram at smartgirltribe and I will send you an exclusive gift just to say thank you. I am going to be real with you. I have been the queen of no boundaries. I have created a business out of it. I have always made sure I am accessible, reachable. I'm there for everyone, even at the cost of my own mental health. So I was thrilled to have Michelle Alman, a boundaries expert, come on to the podcast to share how you can set boundaries, the vocabulary to use, how to set boundaries at work, with family members, with friends, with your partner, even with yourself. This is insightful, informative, and will hit home for so many of you as it did me. Hi Michelle, thank you so much for coming on to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. I would love for you to explain to our audience what exactly are boundaries. Thanks for having me on. So boundaries are how we teach the world to treat us. It's the line between who we are and who the world wants us to be. And it's basically about what is and isn't acceptable in terms of our treatment. What are the consequences then of unhealthy boundaries? You would be feeling burnt out, exhausted. You might be feeling powerless, helpless in your own life. You might be feeling overwhelmed because you can't say no. Um, Another consequence is that if you don't set boundaries is you'll feel a lot of anger and resentment. And that might seep out in passive aggressive comments. It might seep out in um, other ways that are seen as more socially acceptable. So, for example, anger is an emotion that is meant to signal that your boundaries have been crossed. If you do nothing about it and you repress that anger, it might seep out when you stub your toe, for example, because you screaming and shouting because you've stubbed your toe is more socially acceptable. Uh, road rage is another socially acceptable form of aggression um, and anger. And so you almost displace it from what you don't want to feel. And you feel it in the context where societally we've deemed them for some reason more acceptable. And that could even be things that aren't acceptable, like yelling at a waiter. If you've ever wondered why someone gets really angry because a waiter's got their drink wrong or whatever it is, it's often because in somewhere else in a different area of their life, they are having their boundaries crossed and they're not having an outlet for that anger because actually if you set the boundary the anger would disappear so emotions are designed to be temporary and if you do something about that emotion if you set the boundary in the case of anger and resentment then the emotion will disappear but because we don't set the boundary and then we don't process the anger it seeps out in other areas of life and usually in ways that we can't control. Do you find that women struggle more so with setting boundaries than men? Yeah, because I think we have been conditioned to be the givers in society. We've been taught that to be a good woman, to be a good mother, to be a good daughter, you have to put everyone else first. And we are trained from a very young age. The whole definition of ladylike is to be docile, accommodating, all of these things. And so in order to do that, to be a nice woman, you actually have to 
um, bury your own needs. And I think this illusion of nice or politeness is actually a way of being subservient a lot of the time, where it's like you've been trained from like very young. And the example I use in the book was I was like 10 years old. And it's something very small that parents do all the time, but you don't realize it's probably the beginning of teaching uh, people to not listen to their own needs, which is when you go to a family friend's house and they cook something that you don't like, or perhaps you're too full, and someone tells you you have to eat it because you're being rude. What you're basically saying is your discomfort that you're feeling because you're too full or your discomfort because you're about to eat something you don't like is less important than the perception to the person in at that party who has made it for whatever reason. And then you're told you're being rude if you don't eat it. You get told all of these things that... And then we embed that. And so we it, that's how it starts. Or it starts in the classroom when a teacher tells you to stop crying, when actually, why aren't we asking why are they crying rather than telling them to stop feeling their emotions? And so emotions and boundaries are very intrinsically linked because it's all about your needs and how to get your needs met. But it's really hard to get your needs met if you don't know what your needs are. And it's really hard to know what your needs are if you've been trained your whole life to bury them and to ignore them even when you do notice them because you're being rude if you actually fulfilled your own needs. Can we talk for a second then about anxiety and boundaries? My first question, because you've said that emotions are temporary, is would you classify anxiety as an emotion then? And also very similar to anger, would you say that when we are particularly anxious, we're feeling anxious, maybe that's because we haven't set a boundary elsewhere in our lives? So anxiety, there are many different points of view, and I'm a life coach trained within neurolinguistic programming, so that's my um, experience and what how I look at anxiety. Not every therapist, psychologist, counsellor is going to agree with what I'm about to say, but within my model and how I work with clients and people, anxiety is actually just the emotion fear, but it's the emotion fear in the future. So anxiety can't actually exist if you are in the present. If you're thinking about the now, you can't have anxiety. You have to think about a future event. So let's say you're thinking about setting a boundary and you're thinking about this conversation that you need to have tomorrow. That's why the anxiety exists. It's just fear about a future event. And so in order to gain more control, you can either think about the present, which which I guess a, a word for it is mindfulness, like being present in the moment and actually having the knowledge that you'll be able to deal with it when it arises. Um, but if you think about a, a future event and you picture it going wrong, your body is going to react to it. Because again, within my model of working with people, I believe that the unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between real and imagined. And one example of that is if I bit into a lemon and I just was talking about it, there's no lemon present, your body would still react as if you're biting into a lemon. So when you picture someone yelling and screaming at you tomorrow when you set that boundary, even though you haven't had the conversation, you're going to be feeling the fear as if someone's yelling at you right now even with no one yelling at you, your heart rate will raise, your body will physically react to it. And when your body's physically reacting to it, then it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because for you to have a feeling, you have to have a thought that precedes it. And all those thoughts you're having about a conversation that actually hasn't taken place are what's creating the feeling. And it's not actually about the boundary you're about to set. It's about what you're projecting about how the conversation is going to go. And frankly, you don't know how the conversation is going to go. So you go into it knowing that you're going to take responsibility for your side of the street and knowing that their response is not going to determine how good or bad the boundary is. A lot of the times when you set a boundary and you get a bad reaction, and yes, 100% that's possible. Within the book, I call it the boundary backlash. That doesn't mean you set the boundary wrong. Just because you set a boundary and someone calls you rude doesn't mean you're being rude. I remember one time I told someone to stop talking to me. I was, they were swearing at me, yelling, raising their voice. And I said, please stop talking to me like that. They were like, you're being so rude. You're the mm. one yelling and raising your voice at me. I'm the one being rude. Please tell me exactly where in that sentence specifically I was being rude. But that's a hypothetical situation but like I wouldn't actually say that but actually a lot of the time we get so concerned about being rude and then when I say to the person specifically where do you think you are being rude they're like 
I don't know. I said, please. And I said it calmly. And I said it in an emotionally neutral way. And I was like, yeah, so if they say you're being rude, you could have set the boundary in the most polite way possible. And they can still think you're rude. You could have sent it in the most kind way possible. And they could still call you mean. You could set it in a really um, balanced way that it was good for both parties. And they can still call you selfish. It's not about the names they call you afterwards. It's about knowing that your needs are more important. Are there different types of boundaries? Yeah, so there are, within the book, I separate it within the different types of boundaries and then also the different contexts. So, of course, there are like workplace boundaries, there are family boundaries, friends, um, romantic relationships. I also have a, a chapter on emotional dumps and I have a chapter on timekeeping, boundaries around time. Um, and throughout the book, I talk about online boundaries as well. Within that, there's also material boundaries, which is boundaries around our stuff. So not borrowing your sister's dress without asking for her permission. Um, Physical boundaries, how close you're standing to someone, whether you touch someone without their permission. Um, Even if it's something like giving someone a hug without asking them first, which again is something we're trained very much from childhood that you're being Mm. rude if you don't want to give someone a hug. Um, Emotional boundaries, so knowing which boundaries belong to which person so that I don't have to carry your anger. I also don't have to carry your shame. That shame is yours. It belongs to you. You body shame me. That shame is actually yours. It doesn't belong to me just because you've tried to hand it to me. Having good emotional boundaries, but being like, no, that's your shame. You can keep that. Um, And then there's intellectual boundaries. So not trying to um, convince someone else of your opinion, allowing those two opinions to exist. So an example of that would be when a parent has a child and the child doesn't want to be in the same religion as the parent and actually respecting they're an adult, they're allowed to make that decision. Even as a child, even as an older child, a teenager, if they don't want to practice a religion, that is their choice. They're allowed to make that decision. And just because they got brought up in a household where that religion was commonplace doesn't necessarily mean they'll make the right decision. But it's about respecting that decision. That's good boundaries intellectually. Mm-hmm. Completely. I read that the anxious attachment and the avoiding attachment styles are most affected by boundaries. How is that? Well, I think I don't really work within those because I think there are a lot of criticisms within that model. And I found the way it's being discussed is that it really demonises, especially the avoidant attachment, and especially in the context of dating. I've heard so many negative things about avoidant attachment styles. And you aren't your attachment style and you can also change. We're adults. We're allowed to change from what our conditioning was as a child. A lot of that terminology actually stems from childhood studies. Very little um, evidence has actually been shown to relate that to adult attachment styles. And it's also been shown that you can attach to different people in different ways. So it's not something that I would correlate to boundaries. And ultimately... There are multiple different ways where people say, oh, well, it's harder for me. So one thing I've heard is, oh, it's harder for me because my parents are from a different culture. It's harder for me because you don't know my mum. It's harder for me because I have an avoidant attachment style. It's harder for me because whatever reason, you want to spend more time and energy building up why it's harder for you. Boundaries are hard for everyone. If it was easy, then I wouldn't have to write a book about it and Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have to teach it. It's difficult. I'm not saying yours is any easier than anyone else. But I'm also saying, like, if you spend more time proving to yourself how difficult it is for you, it's why I just don't tend to place much emphasis on that. Because I've even had people say, like, well, you can't do this in Asian culture, not knowing I'm half Chinese. And I'm like, I grew up in Asian Mm. culture. I grew up in Hong Kong. So and it's always said with like, it's a reason to not set the boundary. And ultimately what I say, and this is maybe more of a life coaching approach, you don't want to set the boundary. No one's forcing you. Like, you don't have to set it. If you're not ready to do that, fine. You're not ready for the backlash, fine. The book is ready for you when you're ready for it. And if you don't want to do it, fine. But don't spend your time and energy convincing yourself why your situation is so unique. Because I know for sure there will be someone else in the exact same situation who has set a boundary and it's gone successfully, whether the person has received it well or not. And so... There will be an example of someone with an avoidant attachment style or an anxious attachment style struggling more than someone with a secure attachment style, for example. But there will also be someone who has an avoidant attachment style and has changed 
and has worked on it. And ultimately what it comes down to is if you actually take the whole attachment style and you just dilute it down to the behaviors, it's in singular moments where you know you're pulling away from someone because you're scared or you want to protect yourself. And knowing in that moment, oh, this is my attachment style and going, okay, well, I'm experiencing the resistance. I know what I should be doing and I know what I want to do and actually just trying to do something different. Mm -hmm. So rather than looking at as a... I think the issue I have with those labels is they they imply a permanence that is just not true. And because it stems from childhood, it's essentially like saying, well, what you got given by your parents, the upbringing you had is deterministic for the rest of your life. And I just don't believe that's very empowering. And so, yes, absolutely, it has an impact. Absolutely, um, people have not been raised with the right um, needs being fulfilled and therefore it has a knock-on impact on how they relate to other humans as adults but how you actually start changing that and that's where being a life coach you're more future focused is you look at the individual behaviors rather than looking at this broad label and I think sometimes I find these labels especially when used about other people are quite dismissive and actually remind me quite a lot of cancel culture of like you can't date them because they're avoidant and Mm. actually it's that's not the case like everyone has their own rubbish that we have to sort through everyone has their own stuff we're not perfect humans and putting a label over someone just and especially when you just don't know like there aren't any tests to figure out what attachments are there are quizzes but not based in evidence not Mm. based in research I mean how many times have you heard someone go like oh, well, I'm an Aquarius, so I just can't. And it's like, it doesn't matter whether it's attachment style or it's a zodiac sign. Like, people will find their reasons. And like, mm. even if it's not that, I remember once someone once saying to me, well, I'm an asshole, so I'm j- that's just the way I am. As if, like, it's a permanent, immovable thing and you can't change your behavior. And I was just like, no, that's not how it works. But as a whole, I think there was a time when these phrases were helpful And now that they're being overused, overgeneralized, and there isn't a lot of education behind how they're being used, they're not helpful anymore. What they are useful for is self-awareness. So let's say you read a book about it, you figure out, okay, you're closer to, because it is a spectrum, closer to anxious attachment style. Now you know what to look for. Great. Now leave it alone. You don't need the label anymore. You've read all the things that you could potentially do. You can notice it in your own life. You can take action on that. You don't need the actual label. And the problem is once you put a label on someone, even if it's something like dyslexia, which I'm dyslexic myself, but like you you give someone a label and they might fit five criteria, but the brain doesn't like cognitive dissonance. So if you give them a checklist of 20 things, which they actually did to me when I had dyslexia, your brain will almost be like, well, if I'm dyslexic, I need to tick more of these things to actually fit this criteria. And so that ends up happening where it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You saying to yourself over and over again, well, I'm an anxious attachment style. I'm an anxious attachment style. Then what do you think is going to happen? That's going to reaffirm the behavior that you actually don't want. Mm -hmm. So to focus on what you want instead is the solution. How do you know if you need to set boundaries? I mean, are there any questions you can ask yourself to figure out if you need to set boundaries with those around you? Usually you will have an unpleasant feeling in your body. You will have a moment, you will feel a kick and like it will usually be anger and it will usually be resentment. The trick is that majority of humans on the world, or maybe not majorities, but a large portion, uh, aren't present in within their bodies. So they don't notice when emotions arise. And so even though anger and resentment are the best ways to know when your boundaries have been crossed, they might be able to say, oh, well, I don't feel very good, or that didn't make me feel very nice, and I'm not sure why. And it's because we haven't um, practiced this emotional vocabulary, first of all, like most adults think that we only have three emotions, happy, sad, and angry. Um, but we actually have so many more and knowing what anger feels like in your body, knowing when it arises is all about being more present in your body. So it's about associating within your body. And if you live in a world where your body is an unsafe place to be, so that could be because you are a person of color, you're a trans person, you are a plus size body. If the world has made it an unsafe place to be in your body, what tends to happen is you 
disassociate from your body. So you won't know what you feel. So these are the people who, when I'm like, okay, well, close your eyes and figure out where the anger is physically in your body, they'll be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's because emotions are physical energy and they sit somewhere within us. So if like when someone crosses my boundaries now, and this took five years to get me to figure out how to feel that way, but when someone crosses my boundaries now, I can feel the anger rise up in me. I can feel the resentment rise up in me. And the way to start practicing that is to practice being within your body. So the next time you go for a walk, the next time you go for a gym, actually like go into your body and ask yourself, how do my legs feel right now? How does my stomach feel right now? How does my heart feel? Actually place your attention on that. And as you start building a relationship with your body, you're also going to be building a relationship with the motions within you. And that's how you know. And also it's generally those moments where, um, so before I had a relationship with my emotions, before I was aware of emotions rising up in my body, what would tend to happen is my boundaries would be crossed. I'd be absolutely fine in the moment. And then about three days later, I start thinking about the conversation and the conversation would not leave me alone. And it would usually be like a sentence. And weirdly, it actually happened last week because even though I am in touch with my emotions, it's still a pattern within my life that like days later, I'll suddenly be like, oh, that was rude. Oh, I don't like that. And like, it will keep going in my head. And people don't do anything about it because they think they can't set a boundary later. And you absolutely absolutely can. There is no time limit on setting boundaries. And all you have to say to bring it up later is, hey, you know that conversation we had on Sunday? There's something that just doesn't sit quite right with me. I know you didn't have any bad intentions when you said it, but I really didn't appreciate it when you said whatever it is. And um, I'd appreciate if we don't use that language. Instead, you can say or whatever it is, whatever the alternative is. And you can bring up that conversation many days later. Sometimes it's not because you didn't notice it in the moment. Sometimes it's because you need days to process it because you don't want to go in all guns blazing with all your anger and you need a few days to cool down and then have the conversation. That's okay too. As long as you don't do it with the silent treatment, take as much time as you need, communicate that. So if you're really angry in a moment, one phrase I use is, this isn't a productive conversation right now. Can I get back to you? Um, I'm going to take the weekend. I'll speak to you on Monday. If Monday comes, and again, this is a situation I use in the book, Monday came, did not feel any better about it, still felt angry, knew that if we had the conversation, I would likely say something mean. And I didn't want to say something mean. So I was like, I know I said I'd get back to you today. Um, Just sent them a text saying, I I know I said I'd get back to you today. So I'm getting back to you. But I'm still angry. Can I get back to you at the end of the week? I have a big deadline this week. And once I get out that way, I can actually be more productive within our conversation. Uh, Just to let you know, I do want to resolve this. And I love you and I care about you. This is just not the right time, but I will get back to you on Friday. And like, that's the way you communicate to people without using silence as a punishment or or holding an argument over someone's head for a prolonged space of time, um, which it's having that um, awareness of how the other person is feeling and knowing if you were in that position, you wouldn't want to be treated that way. Mm, I love that. Could you please provide more boundary setting statements? So um, if it's about declining invitations, I tend to just say, thank you so much for the invite. I really appreciate that you thought of me. Um, I am unavailable though. Have the best time. Hope your engagement party goes well. Mm-hmm. I don't give a reason. I don't tell them why I'm not free. It could be I'm literally sitting on the sofa and watching Grey's Anatomy. Doesn't matter. None of their business. The problem is you give a reason and they will find it their problem now to solve it. So if you're like, oh, well, I have so much work on at the moment, they'll be like, well, why didn't you do the work now? And then you can come on Saturday or whatever it is. And that that's why you always give less. Less is more when it comes to all boundaries, but specifically when it comes to giving a reason you don't want to come. The only exception I would say is if you're cancelling on something, I think it is polite to give you give a reason why you're cancelling because it's very different saying no to begin with and then cancelling the day of or the week of. Mm. And how can you set a boundary with a family member or a friend who just on the whole makes you feel really rubbish about yourself? So let's say someone's body shaming you. I would probably say something like, can we please stop talking about my body? And then if they continue speaking about my body, then I'd be like, I've asked you once, if you continue speaking about my body, I'm going to leave this conversation. And 
then if they do it again, then I'll be like, okay, I've warned you twice. I'm going to go get a drink and you can come find me when you're ready to talk about something else. Or if someone's talking about politics or something that I don't, I'm not interested in, maybe I want to relax or sometimes being a life coach, it's people wanting to offload their trauma on me and I'm trying to be at a party. And so I'll be like, oh, I don't think this is an appropriate conversation for a party. Um, I'm going to go to the other room, but you guys enjoy the conversation. If it's a group, like I'll just be like, you guys enjoy the conversation. This one's just not for me. And then make my way out and Mm -hmm. go to another room, have another conversation. If you're not okay with that, and that sounds really extreme to you, um, then the next thing is I would just stand there and stay silent. People get very awkward, especially if they've body shamed you and you actually say nothing in response and you just stare at them and just look back at them. Or another one I use is just, ow, like, ouch, that hurt, and just leave it. Like, Mm -hmm. someone says something mean, you say, ouch, that hurts. That's what a child does, just like... I don't need to respond to it. I don't need to correct it. I don't need to justify my body. I don't need to say anything other than that. Just like acknowledge the fact that what you said was hurtful. Um, and if you like, usually what happens is they will then just go into justifying it. Or sometimes they will be like, oh, sorry. Um, but that's one option. And then ultimately, if even that feels like too much, then the other thing you can do is just make an excuse to leave the the conversation. Just don't stay in the room when you are being insulted. You Mm. stay in the room, you almost make it acceptable. So I would just be like, I need to go to the loo, so I'm just going to go to the loo. Someone says a comment like that, and I I will leave the conversation. I personally say the first one, but I understand that's with eight years of practice. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I get that. And how can you set a boundary with a friend who maybe is quite unhealthy and you just need some space from them? You just need a break from them? Or is putting space between yourself and this person a boundary within itself? Yes. So that is distancing. And also you get to determine who you have access to. You get to determine who gets what information in your life. Just because someone's in your life doesn't mean they all get the same amount of information at the same time. So within the book, I use the example of when I get book deals. I don't tell everyone in my life. I tell a certain section as the book deal goes along, whether it's I'm getting the contract or whether it's that I've announced it publicly, then I tell more and more people. And you can determine that. So that's a version of distancing. But also distancing could be how often you're seeing the person. It could be literally not wanting contact for a certain space of time. So um, it could be saying to someone, hey, I don't know if you've noticed, but we've been bickering a lot and I found it really unhealthy. I think we just need a bit of a space, uh, a pause or a space from each other. And um, do you mind if I like get in touch next month? And we can just see how it goes or something like that. And having that conversation and actually that one, I would probably turn into more of a discussion and say, have you noticed that? And just like leave it at that and ask them, have you noticed it? Because usually if you're feeling certain way in a friendship, rather than making it like you versus them and that one of you is the problem and that they're unhealthy for you and they're the toxic one. It could just be that you're incompatible for each other and that the friendship actually isn't working for both of you. Maybe one of you's changed. It doesn't matter who changed. It mattered that you're not the same people anymore. You're allowed to be different people, but being different people might mean that you don't get on in the same way you used to. And how do you set a boundary with someone who is projecting onto you? I have been told for many, many years that I could be a therapist because naturally I am an empath. I take on people's, especially my friends, problems and things like this. However, I can get caught up in situations. For example, I'll have a friend who is angry at their partner, maybe for something they have done, and then they take that anger and they project it onto me. So what would a boundary look like in that situation? If it's even the tone, I know what you're talking about. When someone's angry and you can feel it in their presence and like they're just speaking to you in a certain tone, that's fine. But the problem is we diminish the fact that, oh, it's just the tone they're saying anything. They're not actually saying anything mean. Actually, the tone someone's speaking to you is a way that you can control how Mm. someone speaks to you. If you don't want to be spoken to in that tone, that's perfectly acceptable. And I think you're right. Like, there are moments where people project their feelings. They don't want to process the feelings around their partner, or maybe they're too scared to process the feelings around their partner and the consequences of that. And therefore, they project it on likely the person who they feel safer with and that who also they feel like their relationship 
won't be in jeopardy in acting that way. A lot of the times this happens with sibling relationships because, like, you're stuck with each other for life, or that's the supposed mentality. Um, And so in that moment, I would just be like, I don't like the way you're speaking to me. I'm not sure why you're speaking to me this way. I'm aware that you're angry at your boyfriend, but I don't think I'm involved in that conversation and I don't deserve to be spoken to that way, so please stop speaking to me like that. Or I will go somewhere else where someone won't be speaking to me in that tone. And I just think it's about that firmness. And this is where, like, I get accused of all names under the sun, like mean, aggressive, harsh. But you know what? What happened before I did set all these boundaries is I was the one who was carrying everyone's emotions every day. And you know what? I truly believe emotions are a superpower just if you are able to boundary them. And if you are have that much empathy for the world, but you don't have limits on where your empathy ends, and also that your empathy for others has to come be- below your own needs, then you're going to be drained and exhausted because empaths essentially feel the whole world. So if you don't know when to be like, okay, no, my turn, these are my feelings, those are your feelings, keep them away from me, then you're going to be drained because you can't process someone else's emotions. So all you end up doing is carrying their emotions. Whereas the only process, the the only emotions you can process are your own. And so that was a big skill I had to learn because I was also an empath. I'm not sure I'm, I'm one anymore just because I practice boundaries so much. But it's I think also this this view of empath for so long I thought it was a positive thing and it was, but it was actually ruining my mental health draining me every day and leaving me with very few resources to help myself. How can you almost set a boundary with yourself and gift yourself that skill to distance yourself? Because I've done this a lot when I've been dating, that it's almost I will want to fix every possible trauma that they have ever gone through and I will want to talk through their childhoods and things like this. So for me or for anyone listening in a similar position, how can you practice that skill of this is where you end and this is where I begin? So again, it's in the small moments. So let's say you're dating someone. I'll use an example from my own life. But I remember like, it, and this is very early stages of me trying to set boundaries. It was things like, the person I was dating was like, oh, I need to get new shoes, but I can't be bothered. Where do you even get shoes? I have no clue where you get men's shoes. I've never shopped for men's shoes. So I have no clue. You know what I would have done? I would have gone on Google, looked up where you get men's shoes, dragged him to go get his shoes, gone sat there while he got into his shoes. And now, I and in that moment, I was just like, I, I could feel myself about to do that. And then I was just like, no, he's perfectly capable of figuring it out himself. And I went, oh, I don't know. Good luck. And it's choosing something different it's in the moment you know you're about to swoop in and save them and be like actually no you can figure it out on your own and also like if you want to do a middle ground then be like well I think House of Fraser sells shoes and then being like that's it like I think House of Fraser sells shoes end of conversation like I'm not going to go drag you I'm not going to remind you you need to buy your new shoes any of those things and that comes to emotions as well so someone being angry um let's say they're having a fight with their boss or whatever and you're in a relationship with them you can feel angry for them but it was actually the moment I realized that when you're angry for them you're actually being very self-centered because you're not actually making space for their anger and you and if you've ever had the experience of you're upset about something and then someone gets more upset about it than you you then end up having to comfort them takes away from you being able to process what you're actually sad about and they're doing it in a compassionate way but actually realizing the number of times I made a bigger deal about what they were going through which meant they ended up comforting me about their situation Mm. those were the moments where I was just like something needs to change this is not right and also there are enough things as an adult there are enough things in your day-to-day life to annoy you upset you like can you imagine doing that for every other person in your life and it's just like there's enough anger in your own life there's enough sadness in your own life emotions are difficult enough to process I don't want an extra load I don't need to process someone else's and I actually can't you can't physically process someone else's and The problem is when you try to, you end up feeling powerless because it's literally impossible to process someone else's emotions. One scenario I want to explore is setting a boundary with time. 
I don't like to say that I'm busy because I do find that term offensive. Everyone is busy. I have a lot going on though. And in a professional environment, I have had a couple of people who it has come to a meeting. We've scheduled a meeting and then suddenly 15 minutes will go by and 20 minutes will go by and I will find myself calling them. So it's not like a friend. I can't put distance between us because I'm in a professional setting. So I still have to continue that professional relationship. So being the expert, Michelle, what would you advise there? So I would actually make it more difficult for them to <laughs> arrange meetings with me. I would I would actually say, like, can you communicate that over, over email? The last few meetings we've had um, haven't been punctual and have ended up taking more time in my day than necessary. So if you can communicate it over email, that would be great. They still insist on a meeting, then say, great, but then I have a hard finish at 12 and if you are not there within 10 minutes then I won't then I'm going to be leaving and it all I don't even say that necessarily because that's preempting behavior and just if they um if they aren't in touch instead of sending an email or calling them chase up where they are what I would say is I would send an email saying hey I was on the zoom call for 10 minutes and uh you didn't turn up so I assume you've uh, I assume you aren't attending please let me know the, the new date you'd like to arrange I just don't like my time being wasted and you know what I think part of being professional is being on time and why should I have to have my day wasted and usually uh, I'm very scheduled I have one meeting ending and another meeting ending and like if I'm late if you're late for one we run over I'm now late for the next and that's not fair on the next person and so it's that that's how I would do it. And I understand within different jobs, you'll have different elements of how harsh you can go with that. But that's why I think like on the letter end, I would just try to change it to emails so that you stop, you stop wasting my time. Because if I have to sit there for 20 minutes, yes, emails take longer, but emails take longer only compared to a meeting where you actually turn up on time. And yeah, those things, I'm, you, you're not going to waste my time twice. Sorry, but you're not. I'm too busy. Like, as you said, I don't like saying I'm busy, but if you push me, I will say it. So I had this situation in dating, actually. Again, I don't walk around saying I'm busy. I think it's quite an arrogant thing to say. I think everyone is busy. So mm -hmm. I try not to say it, but... Um, I kept my Saturday free and like keeping a Saturday free is a really big deal. It is a very, um, like the most precious amount of time in my week because it's like a full day where I can relax. And, um, he didn't stand me up. There was just a miscommunication, which meant like he didn't, basically I thought we had a date. We didn't have a date. And so I was like, when he got back in touch on the Sunday, I, I was like, I just find it rude that you didn't think to let me know. Mm. Um, I kept an entire day free for you. That doesn't work. Communication is really important to me. Um, so thank you so much for the chats and everything has been great, but um, this isn't working for me. And take care. I hope you find what you're looking for. And yeah, I was just like, I'm not. And then he he, he was like, wait, hold on. What's going on? Um, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize you kept my de the whole day free picked up the phone, called me and I said, look, I don't want to be that person, but I'm really busy to keep a Saturday free for someone. I don't give out Saturdays also mm -hmm. for dates very easily. I give you a like Monday night. I give you a Tuesday night on the second day. <laughs> I might give you a Thursday night. Like it takes like maybe five dates to get to, I'm going to give you my whole Saturday. So <laughs> I was like, um, I was like, I'm really busy. My weekend is my only time I get to relax. And to give someone my whole Saturday, I understand means nothing to some people, but means a lot to me. And I don't like having my time wasted. Like we can do, like, I was like, we, if you want to keep, he was like, well, I want to keep dating. I'm really sorry. It won't happen again. I was like, okay, but it, like, it can't happen again. Like, I'm not going to have my time wasted twice. Mm. And that's really important to me. It's my strongest boundary and I need my time to be respected. And like with the right apologies, all of that. And like a lot of the time, especially within dating, women have been trained to be like, keep your needs small. Otherwise you get called needy. That's the way I date. I'm like, look, this is how I am. This is what I want. Can you meet me? Can you not? If you can't meet it, fine. Better I know earlier and I'll save you time as well to let you know that this is what I'm going to need from now on. Mm. 
The beautiful thing about boundaries is I think actually we've become a society of like cutting people off in the first moment they mess up. And again, I think that comes down to cancel culture. And actually boundaries are giving someone a warning. Boundaries are going, hey, I'm telling you what I like. I'm telling you what I don't like. I'm asking for what I want instead. Here is a roadmap of how you can make this relationship work. And rather than testing the relationship or cutting it off before it has a chance, it's going, okay, here's your roadmap. Are you going to follow it or are you going to just do your own thing? Mm-hmm. And so when you give someone a roadmap, then you know, okay, well, I've told you exactly what I need. You've not met that. You've not fulfilled that in any way. Great. Then that's a sign of disrespect. Completely. I do think time is a massive respect thing, particularly in the dating world. I think it's saying I may like slash love you, but I like slash love myself more it's really it's really important to have boundaries so you mm. have to be aligned even if that person wants to be late for you on a friendship level or unreliable on a friendship level can't happen in the workplace like yeah for me it would be also can't happen in my friendships can't happen in my life full stop like there is no one exempt from that rule um I've cut off friends because they kept cancelling on me and the last time I before I cancel uh, before I cut them off um, I said to them, if you cancel one more time, I won't be making another plan with you. And uh, I got this text saying, oh, I thought it was a Monday, not a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And there was like no apology. It was just, mm-hmm. I thought it was a Monday, not a Tuesday. And I was like, okay, no worries. And then she was like, okay, but let's just do another day then. And I was like, no, I told you before, I'm not making another plan with you. Mm-hmm. Um and she was like, well, that's a bit harsh. And I was like, it's a bit harsh to do that the fourth time you've cancelled? Really? Like, that's not harsh. That's me being very patient. Usually I don't give someone four tries. Um, but we'd been friends for 10 years. So I was like, and um, yeah, so I was just like, no. I And she was like, okay, come on, we can make, we can make, we can make a date work. And then I went, no, I don't want to. And I think it's best we leave it. And so I left it at that. And yeah, I got a bunch of not very nice replies of you're being really harsh and unforgiving and you can't behave like that and well I can but you shouldn't be behaving that way Mm -hmm. is there any vocabulary that we should be using to strengthen our boundaries or equally any vocabulary that we should be avoiding when setting boundaries so remove your apologies from it massively uh they shouldn't be in there at all um I also think keep them short. A lot of the time when we're insecure in the boundary about we're about to set, we put a lot of justifying language. As soon as you're justifying your needs, your emotions, you're losing because you don't need to justify them. You don't need to explain why you're angry. You don't need to explain um, why you want a time requirement or you want to leave on time or all of these things. Um, and then ultimately, like when you are communicating them it should be done in a calm and as kind as possible manner so usually I will be using words like please thank you I appreciate that what I would love from you is um and outlining essentially here's what I here's the different action I want and make it as specific as possible How can you achieve a balance when setting a boundary? Because people have different expectations and are willing to tolerate or not tolerate different things. So when do you need to step back and maybe reevaluate your boundary? Absolutely. So boundaries can change all the time. They are not firm. They are flexible. And so you can have... So for example, one of my online boundaries was I was never going to ever talk about Um, relationships online Um, I had that for about five years and then I was getting frustrated with the lack of the representation around plus size people dating and the positive representation around it and I had a great dating life so I started sharing it Um, and then uh, yeah that boundary has changed I became more open with it and I've actually become less open now that I'm in a relationship with one person I don't want his name to get out I don't want his picture to get out I want us to have a level of privacy so I actually say less than I used to when I was dating when it would be a bunch of different people who different stories and I would share um, those stories I also have different boundaries within like so I will be more open about my relationship within my books 
than I will be online because I also think you have more context within a book so it can't be ripped out of context so you're allowed to change your boundaries and within relationships it's the same so you can I mean funnily enough going back to the time thing I actually got a bit more flexible about time because I had to be like okay so what part is important to me like when we're having these miscommunications about time I was like the part that's important to me is I want to know what time you're arriving and when you've got on the train so I said that I was like those two things like whatever other stuff like he thought I wanted like a play-by-play of what he was doing with his morning and like all of these things I was like don't care tell me what affects me that's the only part I care about tell me what time you're getting on the train so I know what time I need to get ready when you tell me when you get on a train it gives me the amount of time I need to get ready and when you tell me what time you're arriving I know where, like, what I can do with my day. And the parts that were frustrating me, for example, is I'd be like, okay, let's do something Saturday. My head, it would be like from the morning. And then in his head, it would be like from 2 p.m. And then I'd be like, well, actually, if you just told me that, then I could have gone for brunch with a friend or breakfast with a friend and then actually go and see you. I could have done both things. So it was figuring out, and that's through, like, conversations and understanding that there was no bad intentions in any of it. It was just two different ways of people working. And like, he has a different timescale to me. And I get that. But it was because I was met with respect from the beginning when I communicated that and that never happened again. And my time was never actually wasted again. Um, We were then able to work out the like fine print stuff of like, okay, what information do you actually need? what and where what are the parts I can be more flexible on so like I would love to have a train booked ahead of time I'm fine without it I don't need it but I do know time I need do need to know timing so figuring out what's important to you and looking underneath the hood and looking at what are your actual values within this why is this important to you um is a real way to spotlight which part of the boundary you can do with and do without. So again, a big thing that a lot of couples disagree on is how much they should text. You can change things. You could be like, okay, well, I don't like being on my phone all day, but how about I pick up the phone to you once a day and give you a call? It might be, I don't like texting you all day, but um, I can agree that every day I'll send you at least one text, whatever it is. If you look underneath it, it's like, okay, what does texting give you? texting gives me reassurance if I had more reassurance in the relationship would I care so much about texting okay is there another way I can get reassurance from our relationship maybe it's seeing each other more maybe it's when we see each other we actually hug more or spend more quality time together more or we actually spend less time on our phones so that when we are together it's more present time um, and we're with each other and so when we're apart it's not so difficult and it's finding those looking at why it's important to you is a way that you can be more flexible about boundaries. But I don't really like the word compromise because compromise kind of implies a lose-lose situation. Mm. And I think there's always a way to make it a win-win. Is there a daily practice that someone can subscribe to to strengthen their boundaries? Uh, Start using the word no. No is the simplest and easiest boundary to use. If you are not using it, there is no way you can have boundaries in your life. So just... You make sure when you say yes, it means yes. Make sure when you say no, it means no. And make sure when you're saying sorry, it's because you actually want to say sorry and not because it's just this reflex that comes out of your mouth. How can you stop feeling guilty for setting a boundary? So that guilt arises because your brain has told you you are doing something wrong. And so the opposite of that is the relief and the happiness and even pride you could feel for yourself so focus on how you feel a lot of the reason why you're feeling guilty is because you're focusing how they feel they're going to be angry at me they're going to hate me every sentence like that starts with them if you put your focus on someone that you cannot control then you are going to be feeling rubbish Instead, if you focus on, wow, that felt really good. I did something different. I'm really proud of myself. It might not have worked out the way I wanted to. It might have been clumsier than I intended when I planned it in my head, but I did it. Like focusing on that and also being like, so let's say it's you cancelling an event and you're going, oh my God, the relief I'm feeling right now. I'm so glad I'm not at that party. Like, I don't care how many people are angry at me right now. I don't care how many people are annoyed at me. And to be honest, 
it is a likely outcome when you you are a person with no boundaries and then you drastically change to a person who suddenly wants to have their needs met and have boundaries. If you filled your life with people who are used to you having no boundaries, it's going to be a shock to them and they will do whatever they can in their power to try to convince you otherwise. So it's just an adjustment period. Remind yourself of that. And also remind yourself that you're not doing anything wrong, that you having needs is important. And in the long term, you're actually doing a service for everyone in your life. Because if you've ever had anyone in your life who doesn't take care of themselves well, it is so frustrating. So when you put that job on your to-do list and you take care of yourself, it removes that job off everyone else's list. I also end the podcast with two questions. The first being, Michelle, what is your favourite quote or the mantra you live by? Um, The thing I'm living by at the moment is from Grey's Anatomy and it's not really a quote or a mantra but essentially there were a couple was about to walk down the aisle the bride was getting cold feet and there was a bit of a delay and someone said to the groom something like um oh do you think she's like disappeared or has she run away or like jilted him at the altar and he said if you get to the point of walking down the aisle with someone they're owed a little bit of benefit of the doubt and I just think going into communication with a little bit of benefit of the doubt, and that's not saying being blind to like the red flags or the things that are right in front of your eyes, but it's understanding that when we make assumptions and we're hurt, we often make assume the worst of people and going into friendship conversations, even work conversations, uh, romantic conversations with the, the point of view of, if I've chosen this person to be my friend for 10 years, they're owed a little bit benefit that out. So maybe I shouldn't just jump to the worst assumption. And if I have an assumption, ask, because that's always the solution. Whenever you're assuming, you're going to create it into a story. So just if you're unsure about something, just ask rather than building a story in your head. I do actually have another question. We hear all the time we need to know our needs. We need to value our needs. But my question is, how do you figure out being the expert what your needs actually are? So actually, if you Google um, a table of human needs, this is actually a thing that you can look through. So you'll have the words in your head and that will actually really help. And it's a table of like 30 words. It's not comprehensive in any way, but it is a good starting point. So that's the place where I would start personally. Then finally, what books or podcasts would you recommend on this subject, Michelle? On boundaries, I'm not sure there is a podcast that exists, um, even though I actually talk about boundaries on my own podcast a few times, in all honesty. But in communication in general, I would say Esther Perel's How Do We Begin? And when it comes to books, um, a book I read recently about communication was called Listen. And I quite like that. And again, it's not specifically on boundaries, but um, was good about how to have non-violent communication. Now, I was the queen of No Boundaries, Michelle. So I just want to thank you for coming on to the podcast. I have learned so much and I have no doubt our listeners will. Thank you for listening to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. I am your host, Scarlett V. Clark, award-winning founder and CEO of Smart Girl Tribe, the UK's number one female empowerment organisation, host of this top-rated podcast, the Smart Girl Tribe podcast, and author. You are my community, my family, so come and follow along for more female empowerment and personal development in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or on Twitter or Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe.